Good morning. It's great to be here. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 12 this morning, so you'll want to open up your Bibles. I'm going to be reading the first six verses of Revelation chapter 12. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her son, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Let's pray. Father, we know that you gave us your word not to confuse us but to save us, to encourage us, and to inform us of what to expect in this world. So, Father, please fill us with your spirit that we may see your greatness and sufficiency. May this passage bring us hope and courage. We ask this for our benefit and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Friday night had finally come. Many of the members of the small church had eagerly been waiting for this moment. And yet an equal number of members feared that this congregational meeting could split their church. Emotions were raw, tensions high. This was going to be a difficult time in the life of the church. They had assembled to decide the future of their young pastor. Would they keep him or dismiss him. Many loved Pastor Hank. He boldly preached the word of God. And yet it was that same boldness that had offended the others. They didn't mind him preaching from the Bible. But when he wanted to apply scripture to the conduct of their lives, well, he had gone too far. And so the division line had been drawn. Those who supported Pastor Hank were on this side of the church and those opposed here. There wasn't an empty seat in the sanctuary. Both sides knew the opposition. Both sides were ready for battle. But what they didn't know was that the battle was already brewing. High up in the sanctuary, the angels and the demons had already assembled and drawn their battle lines. They were, of course, invisible to the congregation, and yet they were engaged in battle, slashing and cutting each other with flaming swords. And while they were fighting in the invisible realm, the two sides in the earthly realm were slashing each other with cutting words and comments. When the vote was finally taken, there was concern that it would be so close that one or two votes could make a difference. 
And they didn't want anybody to cheat. So they got one man from each side to come up and count. And as one of them was counting, a demon put on his heart to hide some of the ballots so that his side could win. And so he concealed them in his hand. But an angel, watching from the invisible realm, flew down, hit his hand, causing the hidden ballots to fall on the floor. The ballots were immediately seen and counted. And with that, the demons went into a wild rage, vowing to unleash chaos and havoc on the church. Well, if that story sounds familiar to you, it's from Frank Peretti's novel, This Present Darkness. Now, Peretti's novel is a fictional story that gives us a fascinating glimpse into the unseen world of spiritual warfare. And though many dismiss it because it's colorful and imaginative, I think Peretti is simply attempting to form a picture of what Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Paul is clear. There is a war taking place that we don't know anything about because it's out of our sight. So this morning, I want to peel back the curtain that separates the visible from the invisible. I want you to see that there is a battle being waged between Satan's forces and God's angels. And it's played out in the lives of the people in this world. And Revelation chapter 12 unfolds this heavenly drama, a drama that has been waged through the ages. Now, Revelation is an exciting book, but it can also be a difficult book to understand because it's apocalyptic literature. In other words, it's literature that uses signs and symbols to communicate the message to paint a picture for us. And the problem is, we want to know every detail, and so we stand as close as we can to the painting. But when we do that, when we focus on just the small details, we lose sight of the painting. The key to reading and understanding Revelation is to step back, to take in the big picture God has woven a beautiful tapestry of redemptive history in the book of Revelation. And the main thing in this tapestry is that God is sovereign. He stands outside of time and he pulls time to himself. He rules. And that message is what we desperately need this morning. I I don't know about you. But I don't think there's ever been a time in my life when the world has been more chaotic and upside down. With COVID-19, social unrest, and disharmony among people, it appears as if the world is unraveling 
and that there's a battle going on and the church is caught in the crosshairs. Do you know that attendance and giving is down for every church? And church experts are predicting that the church will not look the same as it did before the virus. Even after COVID virus subsides, church membership in America will be 25% less. Did you get that? A quarter of those that were worshiping and attending church just six months ago will no longer affiliate themselves with the church. What's going on? Is there hope? Well, Revelation chapter 12 is going to answer those questions. It's going to tell us that there are hidden forces at work. It's going to tell us how to live with that in view. And it's going to reassure us that God is still on his throne. And that's a message we need this morning. So let me begin by giving a summary of this chapter. Revelation 12 retells human history as a drama involving three characters set in three acts or three different scenes. So let's look at the three characters. And they're introduced in the first three verses. And there we find a woman, a son, and a dragon. Now we need to know who they are. So let's begin with the easiest one the dragon, and we don't have to work too hard to get the identity of this dragon. It's given for us in verse 9. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan. So the dragon is Satan. Okay, let's look at the sun. The text tells us in verse 5 that he is a male child that he's caught up to heaven and that he rules all nations with a rod of iron. I only know of one who was caught up to heaven and who rules. That's Jesus. And verse 5 is quoting from Psalm 2, a messianic psalm, a psalm pointing to Jesus, the Messiah. And so the child is Jesus. Okay, that leaves the woman. And it may seem logical to assume that the woman is Mary. After all, she gave birth to Jesus. But I think we need to take a broader view. Verse 1 states that there was a sign in heaven, a woman. In other words, the woman is a sign, a symbol for something else. And what could that be? Well, the imagery surrounding her in this text points to Israel, the people of God in the Old Testament. But later in the chapter, she comes to signify the church, the people of God in the New Testament. So this woman, this sign spans the whole of redemptive history, Old and New Testament. She is then a symbol for all the people of God. Okay, we've identified our three characters. There's the woman as the people of God throughout history, the son, Jesus Christ, and the dragon, 
as Satan. Now let's look at the three acts or the three scenes described for us in this chapter. The first scene is found in verses 4 through 6. That's what I read just a second ago. And it's a satellite view. It's a big view of the drama that describes the birth and ascension of Jesus and the defeat of Satan. It begins in heaven when Satan rebels against God. And in verse 4, we are told that the dragon swept down a third of the stars in heaven. And that's a reference to the fall of Satan when he rebelled against God. And in that rebellion, a great number of stars or angels followed him. That's his army. That's, how he, that's who he deploys and dispatches to accomplish his evil work. And it's a large army. It says a third of the stars. But remember, we're dealing with signs and symbols. So I'm not sure we can definitely say it's exactly one-third of the angelic hosts that mutinied with him. But what we can say, based on the symbol one-third, that a greater number of holy angels remain faithful and are now fighting for us. Now, the next verse is really the key. It says that the dragon, remember, that's Satan, stood before the woman, poised to devour the male child, Jesus. And this is the heart of the drama. It's a picture of the great enemy of God, poised and determined to destroy God. And if you know anything about biblical history, you know that Satan tried over and over in the Old Testament to wipe out the messianic line, the family line that would lead to Jesus. He put in the heart of Pharaoh to kill the male children in Israel to prevent the promised Messiah from coming. He put in the heart of Haman in the book of Esther to kill all the Jews to prevent the promised Messiah from coming. And he put in the heart of King Saul to kill David to prevent the promised Messiah from coming. Satan hates God, and he wants to destroy him, and he wants to destroy those who love him. And so through the ages, we see evil perpetrated by men, but laying behind that evil is the red dragon, Satan. What we see on earth is a recreation of the invisible war fought outside of our vision, just like the story that I told at the beginning of this message. And so here in Revelation 12, Scripture tells us that Satan is waiting for Mary to give birth to the male child so that he can devour him. But who can he use? Well, there was King Herod. You remember when Herod learned from the wise men that the king of the Jews had been born, he was furious. So he had all the male children under two years old killed in Bethlehem. Herod was brutally acting out the evil plan of Satan. Then there were the people in Jesus' hometown. They tried to kill him when he refused to do miracles in Luke 4. And of course, the religious leaders and Judas, all of who were actors in this cosmic drama, 
And did you ever notice how many demons Jesus cast out? It seemed like every city he went to, he was confronted by those possessed with demons. There was a flurry of demonic activity that coincided with the birth of Jesus. It is if Jesus' presence was unveiling the spiritual battle and the gospel writers are bringing it to our attention so we can visualize the warfare. Lastly, there was the crucifixion. When Jesus died on the cross. And I've got to think for a moment, Satan thought he had finally won. But three days later, the tomb was empty. And God turned what looked like certain defeat into victory that would save his people. What a valuable lesson for our lives. When it looks like the devil has the upper hand and that there's no way God can rescue us from him or from our trials, God has a way. Well, verse 5 captures the whole ministry of Jesus by stating that the child was caught up to heaven. And that's a reference to the ascension of Jesus after he was resurrected from the grave. So instead of destroying the child, Satan is defeated. And the woman flees into the wilderness, which is a place of refuge and protection prepared by God. This scene now fades out, and the focus shifts from earth to heaven in verses 7 through 12. And we read there that a war arose in heaven. And let me stop there. This is the theme for this second act, this second scene. A war in heaven. It goes on. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. What's going on? Well, Satan has been defeated by the death and resurrection of Jesus. That was the first scene that we looked at on earth. And on the basis of the resurrection, Michael and his angels rout Satan and throw him out of heaven. And when that happened, a great praise is heard in heaven. But there also was a grave warning. Listen as I read this text. Listen for the warning. Now, the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has come. For the accuser of the brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even to death. Therefore, rejoice, O heaven, and you who dwell in them, but woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows his time is short. Did you hear the warning? 
Woe to you, earth, for the devil has come to you in great wrath, and his time is short. Satan has been defeated, and he's been cast out of heaven, and he's been given just a limited, limited amount of time. So what can he do with that time? Well, the next scene gives us the answer. And the drama now moves back to earth. And we read in verse 13, When the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. Remember who the woman is. She's a symbol for the people of God. And in this last scene in Revelation 12, we see that Satan is furious. He's overwhelmed with rage, and he's determined to spew his wrath on the church and to destroy her. But I thought he was defeated, and that his time was short. He is, but he's so overcome with hatred that he wants to hurt anything in his path. We see people like that all the time. In fact, near the end of the Second World War, the Allies had defeated Germany in North Africa. They had invaded Sicily and they were moving up Italy and they had invaded Normandy. There were over two million Allied troops descending on Germany. It was just a matter of time. And the German military commanders knew that they were finished. Defeat was at hand. And so they advised Hitler to surrender, but he refused. He was filled with rage and overcome with anger, and so he battled on. Satan hates God and those who love him. And because he's overcome with insane rage, he pursues after God's people to destroy them. Make no mistake, he's our enemy, and we ought not underestimate his determination, for he is the prince of the power of the air, the god of this age, the ruler of the world, and the great deceiver. He spreads lies and deceptions. That's why the world seems so upside down to those who cling to truth. And he foments immorality to draw us away from God. And he's the one who lies behind the persecution and the hatred of Christians. He's defeated, but he's dangerous. So is there hope? Let's read verse 14. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she will be nourished. I love how that passage begins with the word but. Satan has come down to earth in great wrath, but... He's overwhelmed with anger and rage, but he's insane and wants to destroy the church, but God has a plan. We're told that the woman is given two wings of a great eagle so that she can fly away from the serpent. 
And this is not a reference to the Air Force, but to the saving power of God. This image harkens us back to Exodus when God saved Israel from Egypt, from an evil Pharaoh who sought to destroy God's people. Listen to how God describes that rescue mission. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. God will preserve the church. But we must recognize that we are not in the Garden of Eden and we are not yet in the heavenly city. We are in the wilderness. We live between the times. The victory has been won, but we're in the wilderness. There will be suffering, difficulties, and trials. But we will be nourished and protected by God. That is our great hope, that we are persevered by the grace of God and the power of the gospel. Oh, church, hold fast the promise of Jesus that he will build his church and that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We must live our lives with understanding that we are in the wilderness. There's a ferocious dragon pursuing us, seeking to destroy us. And his hatred, though in the invisible realm, is being replayed in the visible realm by the culture and the institutes of this world. We must understand that. But we must also live our lives in light of the truth that God sits on his throne. And despite what the enemy does, God will continue to build his church and pursue men. It was in the 1930s that Stalin ordered a purge of all Bibles and believers in the Soviet Union. Multitude of believers were sent to the gulags, to the prison camps, and millions of Bibles were seized. Stalin figured that if he confiscated the Bibles, he could eradicate Christianity from his land. And so the order went out. And nowhere was the order carried out with more vengeance than in Stavropol, Russia. It was a dark time. And it looked like the advancement of the gospel would be permanently obstructed. But a few years ago, Campus Crusade for Christ sponsored a team to go to Stravlopol to share the gospel. They arrived, but without Bibles to distribute. Somehow, the Bibles they were expecting never got shipped to them. But one of the locals told them about a warehouse outside of town where confiscated Bibles have been stored ever since the days of Stalin. After much prayer, the team mustered up the courage to go to the warehouse and ask if they could have the Bibles. And they were told they could. And so the next day they returned with a truck and several Russian men to help load the Bibles. One helper was a young man, an agnostic, 
skeptical, even hostile. He was only there for the pay. And as they were loading the Bibles, they noticed that this young man had disappeared. And so they began to look for him. They eventually found him in the corner of a warehouse, weeping. And he had a Bible in his hand. He had slipped away from them to get out of work. But out of curiosity, he randomly grabbed a Bible to see what's so great about this. And as he opened the pages, he found on the inside cover his grandmother's signature. It had been her Bible. She was one of the multitudes who was persecuted for her faith. And out of the thousands of Bibles that were in that warehouse, he stole the one that belonged to her. And he was forever transformed. There is a dragon who wants to destroy the church and prevent people from entering the kingdom of God. But he has been defeated. And God is carrying the church on his wings to protect and to nourish his people. Take comfort, church. God reigns. Let's pray. Lord, our God, we bow before you in humility and gratitude Thank you for the gift of your son, a child who by his life, death, and resurrection defeated our enemy. And that Jesus now sits on his throne and reigns. Help us to fix our eyes on that great truth, particularly in these difficult days. We give you all the glory as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.